you have a Bible, uh, would you turn to Psalm 84, where we have ushers that'll come down the aisles and they'll have some Bibles. You can slip a hand up if you need to borrow one this morning. Uh, we'd love for you to take it home if you need a Bible at home, or you can scan a QR code, get there through your electronic device. Uh, because we value the Word of God and the truth of God's Word, we encourage everybody uh, to be in the Word of God with us. Thanks for being here and for joining us and those who are joining us online. Let me, uh, let me begin with a couple questions. When was the last time that I, we couldn't wait to see God work in a certain situation? How long has it been since we have stood awestruck by God's amazing power? When was the last time we were overwhelmed by the presence of God in our lives? How long has it been since we have desperately needed him? When did he last speak to you through the impression of the Holy Spirit or through the word of God to guide and direct you? Maybe a decision that you were trying to make or to know which way to go. Joseph Stoll said it best, if Christianity is dull and boring, if it is a burden and not a blessing, then most likely you are involved in a project and not a person, a system, not a savior, rules and not a relationship. Let me pivot here. We sometimes find ourselves in situations that we don't want to be in. A situation that we would not have chosen. Some are not in a relationship for which their heart aches and longs for. Some are in a relationship and the image that they had in their mind and the reality today um, is not what they imagined or expected. Maybe someone finds themselves in a position with failing health and they're no longer able to do the things that they once did and their heart aches. Maybe for some, the phrase peace like a river seems like it's flowing far from home. Some feel that their relationship with God has dried up. His presence that once seemed so very real has faded. There are times in all of our lives when we find ourselves in situations and those, those seasons of life where we don't want to be. In Psalm 84, David finds himself in exactly that position. He longs to be in Jerusalem. He longs to be in God's presence. And I think that'll come through loud and clear through God's word. Let me just set it up a little bit. In order to completely and fully understand Psalm 84, it is important to understand what has led up to this particular passage. God had used Moses to bring his people out of Egypt. You might remember that, this massive group of people that were often referred to as community. They were God's chosen people. And within this massive group of people, this community, there was a smaller subset called the Levites. They were one of the clans of this massive community. And then if you drill down a little bit more or narrow down a little bit more, there was the high priests, Moses and Aaron. So there are three groups to know about, the large group called the community, the tabernacle workers called the Levites, and the priests, Moses and Aaron. They had become a people in one of their cycles. So if you study the Israelites, you'll know that they go through these cycles of where they're, they're longing for the Lord, they're passionate and worshiping the Lord, and then they move away from the Lord. So there's these cycles, but they had become a people in one of those cycles, a people filled with pride, and a people who 
were passionate about only the things that they thought would benefit them. They were consumed with things that brought them self-gratification. So, so long story short, God separated those who lacked passion and those who were passionate about him. He separated the self-consumed from those who were consumed with God, those who hungered for self from those who hungered for God alone, those whose hearts were divided in their attention and worship with those who worship God with this undivided heart. Now, with all that in mind, let's dive into Psalm 84. First of all, if you're following along, Lord, give me a passion for you. Look at the first two verses. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns and even fates for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. So for reasons um, that we don't fully know, he is physically, the psalmist is physically, and we could say spiritually, based on uh, his expression, a far distance away from where he wants to be and longs for what he cannot have. And one of the first things we see is that David turns his, his ache his longing, his pain into a pilgrimage that he tells us about. And he begins by painting us a picture of the dwelling place of God, a place that he had personal experience of. Some speculate that this psalmist might have been a Levite or could have been a temple worker who had once enjoyed the presence of God, but for whatever reason, now he's not there. And so the memories and the desire to go back the pilgrim mentioned in the psalm declares the blessedness of a believer who through faith journeys to a place to meet with God. In verse one, the writer says, how lovely is your dwelling place. So, so he wasn't afraid to admit that the temple is where God lived. It's where God dwelled. And it was where people could travel in order to meet with him or to be in his presence. In fact, the key place throughout the Psalms is God's holy temple. If you read the Psalms, that'll come up over and over again. It was the center of attention in the Psalms. And so this Psalmist, his heart and his flesh cry out. He longed to go and meet with God. So much so they could feel it in every part of his being. To long for the temple literally meant to long for God himself. And so back in those days, a person attributed their time in the temple as time in God's presence. The temple was the house of God or the dwelling place of God. So I guess to kind of give us a visual, if you could just imagine this, like um, if this was the temple, you might, let's just say that the auditorium is the Holy of Holies. And we know that in the Holy of Holies, only the high priests were allowed, so Moses and Aaron. And let's just say out beyond those doors is kind of the courts, and this is what he's kind of describing, is the courts, right? So if you can kind of just get that, that picture in your mind. But it was in the Holy of Holies was the manifest presence of God. It's where God lived. It's where God dwelled. And so that's the picture he's painting is this, is this desire, this longing to get back to the courts where he could experience the Lord's presence. In verse two, the courts that are mentioned here is a place where worshipers and pilgrims would assemble. They would spend their days. Can you imagine the experience the psalmist is painting, as verse two says, your heart and your flesh cry out and you yearn for God so badly that, that you would not be satisfied until 
you met him or were in his presence again. It was a sense of complete emptiness and longing. Verse three, even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are forever praising you. You might assume after reading verse three that the psalmist would respond with resentment because he's a distance away and he has this longing as to say, you care more about the birds that even they get to be in your presence and you've left me out, you've left me at a distance and I want to be there. What are you thinking, God? Clearly, you, you don't even think as highly of me as you do the birds. If that would have been the message intended, it would have a similar feel to the sound to Romeo and Juliet. In the modern English, it would say like this, how can every cat and dog and mouse and unworthy beast live in the heaven and look at her, but I cannot. Everyone else can, but Romeo may not. Just a, just a quote I found on the internet. Don't, don't get all excited that I, I'm into Romeo and Juliet. But that would have echoed the psalmist's frustration, verse three, if it were written differently, which would be quite and understandable to, to all of us had he been frustrated about a dumb bird living in the temple while he can't even, wouldn't make any sense. Here I am, I long for you so badly to be in your presence and I can't, but a bird can be there? But he doesn't respond as we might think he should. He doesn't respond with woe is me. Rather responds with blessed are you who dwell in God's house. He who chooses to rejoice with those who rejoice even when his own heart ached and longed for God's presence, he couldn't have it. Verse three, the sparrow and the swallow, they're just everyday common birds. However, in this pilgrim's heart, they were extremely fortunate birds because they had the privilege of building their nests by his altar. It was as though he was saying that he would do anything to be able to live in the presence of God like those birds get to every single day. Verse four, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those who set their hearts on this, this pilgrimage. For the author, it was, a, it was a physical journey. So he was physically a distance away from the temple and the tabernacle where, God's, where God dwelled and he wanted to get there. So he's talking about this physical uh, journey for us. It's a journey of the heart. He settles in a place of, I'm not where I wanna be and I'm not where I long to be. Do I just give up? Do I just accept where I am? Do I just settle? Do I resolve the journey that it's too hard? No. Or do I pay attention to the stirring in my heart and respond with new resolve? Yes. It reminds me of the phrase holy ambition. Maybe you've heard that phrase. Holy ambition is this ambition that, that is holy because it is motivated by this deep desire to see God adored. For it to be holy ambition, the focus cannot be on you. It has to be on God. There's actually a book called Holy Ambition. I would encourage you to read it if you've never read that. Sometimes we experience holy ambition when we are far from God and the Holy Spirit awakens in us this new desire for God, causing us to refocus our attention on him alone. 
If you lack hunger for God, if you lack passion for God, there could be a reason. One of those reasons might be that you're not saved. Why would an unsaved person who's still living in the flesh have any desire for God, any passion, any longing, any thirst for God? That could be a reason. If you're here and you're like, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think I've ever given my life to the Lord. I don't think I've ever surrendered my life to Christ. Don't let another day go. It also could be that you're saved. But there's unconfessed sin in your life. Or that you've stopped fearing God. Or that you, you're, you're self-reliant. Or you've allowed the evil one to get a foothold or a stronghold in your life. Or you're full of self and you just worry about your own dreams and your plans. Or you're not in, in God's word. Or you're overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. Those could all be reasons. But holy ambition doesn't have to only be when we are far from God or out of fellowship with God. It can also be a stirring in us when we, when we are satisfied in our hearts with where we're at in our pursuit of God. So I think it could be both ways. A time when everything seems to be going great in your walk with Christ. Your prayer life is solid. You're in the word. You're seeking God, striving daily to experience his presence and his guidance. And yet there's still something more that you long for. Something greater. And even though where you're at should be satisfying, you long for more. Ever been there? In the flesh, it doesn't make sense because you could check all of the boxes, right? All the religious boxes, check, 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 check. But the Holy Spirit continues to say to you or impress upon you, come with me. I want to take you deeper. I want to take you deeper in knowledge. I want to take you deeper in belief. I want to take you deeper in experience. I want to take you to a place that you have never been. I want to show you more. In both cases, it's holy ambition. Secondly, Lord, give me strength. Verses five through nine, starting with verse five. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on the pilgrimage. So David now, now shifts gears after revealing his current state and he, he's, his reality, this distance from God to announcing, but hold on a second, there is a way. There is a path to get from where we are to where we wanna be. So he is still attempting to turn his pain and his ache and his longing uh, into this pilgrimage. He shows us one more thing, this pilgrimage or journey is not an isolated effort. He, he suggests community. It says this, blessed are those whose hearts as they. What does that tell us? It tells us and it reminds us that discipleship is, was never meant to be isolated. It's meant to be done in community. We pilgrim, pilgrimage to a deeper level as we rub shoulders with, with other believers. In community, we learn from one another. No one has all the answers. We learn from people and, and are stretched in our thinking when, when we hold different opinions within a latitude of truth. A pilgrimage where, whether it involves David's desire to be physically 
in God's presence or our hearts moving toward God involves asking lots of questions of each other as we grow. The older we get, uh, the more life experience we have and the more that we rub shoulders with other believers, we realize that there are fewer and fewer hills that, um, I'll just speak for myself, that I'm willing to climb and put a stake in and die on that hill. And then there are some that we must. The word of God is truth. And the gospel. Anyone who doesn't think like me is wrong, and my mission in life is to help them get it right, like me. Are you in community? Are you growing in community? Quick plug for our life groups. If you're not in a life group, Check out the info desk. There's a place to sign up. Many, many, many people who attend her are in a life group, doing life with others, growing together. C.S. Lewis, Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Discipleship is a complicated paradox. There's the obvious one. As we move closer to Jesus, he gets bigger. The more we think we know or uh, believe about Jesus, he reveals more of himself. But there are other discipleship paradoxes. Listen to a few of these. We find freedom by being fully dependent. We find joy by embracing suffering. We find fullness of life by emptying ourselves. We find hope by acknowledging our helplessness reminding us that this pilgrimage that David speaks of isn't for the faint of heart. But let's turn our attention to the pilgrimage, the journey that he traveled to get to the temple. We have much to learn from his travels that will help us in our own journey with God. First of all, we see in verse five, the need for strength. Blessed are those whose strength is in you as opposed to those who have strength in themselves, I would imagine is what he's trying to communicate. So let me ask you a question. Do you ever get tired? Of course. Do you, are you ever worn out physically, emotionally? What about even spiritually? Where is your source of strength? Is it in God or coffee, right? Is it in God or other people? Is it in God or self? So, so no desire to grow spiritually burnt out on Christianity, tired of other believers, their judgmental attitudes, their stares, exhausted from Christian checklists. Do this, don't do that. Turned off by the lack of grace from others and the, oh, I have the right answer, people. And so while all of those can be true and many of us have experienced them, I have to believe there is one more reason that the pilgrimage is hard, and that is because rather than rely on his strength, we rely on our own strength. And our own strength leads us to exhaustion because it's limited and we're left to know and experience so little about God. Blessed are those whose strength is in you to make the journey of transformation, to deepen your understanding of God and to solidify your belief in him and experience him daily. We have to turn to him for strength. Think sustainability. The second part of verse five, blessed are those who have their hearts set on the journey. 
uh, as I was going back over this this morning, it reminded me of Colossians 3, 1 through 3 that I want to share with you. This is what it says. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So, so the first part of this journey is to get our heart in the right place. Ask God to take away apathy. Go before God and confess sin and repent from it, turning away from the sin and turning towards God. Take a step of faith of obedience, even when your feelings don't align. Ask God for more faith. Then prepare for the journey. Verse six. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they will make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Along the journey, one will pass through what the psalmist refers to here as the valley of Baca. The valley of Baca means a barren place. It was known as a place of weeping a place of tears, a place of struggle, a place of heartache. Yes, it is true that on the journey to experiencing God's presence more profoundly in your life, there will be mountaintops, there'll be times of celebration, there will be seasons of great rejoicing, but we will also be unable to escape the valley of Baca. None of us will find a deeper presence unscathed from Baca. God uses our pain to reveal to us our deepest and desperate need for him. So the presence of God in our lives becomes more and more evident as we travel, not only through the rough terrain along the way, but also as we go through those valleys of Baca. Those times are never easy, but they're always rewarding, right? The valley of Baca in our own lives can either deepen us and move us towards God, giving us a greater desire, or they could take us away from God. And I've known people who have done both. So you go through a hard season, right, where it's barren and your heart is crushed and you're aching and you're weeping. And I've seen some turn towards Christ and I've seen others turn away from Christ in those seasons. I've done both. And we exit the Valley of Baca the same way we enter, through faith. So keep in mind that the, the valleys of Baca are not the only thing in the desert. There are also streams in the desert, right? So, so a question maybe is, are you in a valley of Baca right now in your life? Are you experiencing a barren season, a time of weeping, of heartache, of struggle? He hasn't forgotten you. The valleys become springs and pools of water. The dry and dreary land will become green pasture once again. Thirdly, verses 10 through 12, Lord, give me an undivided heart. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. 
For the Lord God is a sun and a shield and the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So in Psalm 84, verses 10 through 11, there is a shift from a prayer of blessing to praise. And what we pick up on is the psalmist, this undivided heart. Verse 10, what this man knew about the courts of the temple is worth paying attention to. So remember, there were three groups of people, the community at large, the Levites who took care of the temple and the priests, Moses and Aaron. And the Levites were not satisfied so, so this is a little bit of background and insight of where maybe this, this was coming from. The Levites were not satisfied with the courts of the temple. So the Levites who took care of it were not satisfied with being outside of those doors where everybody else was gathering for worship. They wanted more. So out of their greedy hearts, they came to Moses and Aaron, the priests, and they said, why do you deserve this? Why can't we go in there? We wanna be doing what you're doing as though to say the temple courts, they're not enough for us. We wanna be able to go into the Holy of Holies like you where the real presence of God is. So with that little background in mind, we come back to verse 10. He is saying, I am not greedy. I will be satisfied if I could just, God, would you just give me one day in the courts, just give me one day. But we have to understand what he was willing to give up. For this one day, the tents of sinners, they had so much to offer, these pleasure of every kind, cheap thrills, instant gratification. He was saying, I'll give that up. So as you can see, he wasn't going from a lonely, boring life with absolutely no thrills. He was willing to give everything up everything that supposedly would give him everything that he needed. Just give me the presence of God. Can we honestly say that being with God, spending time with God, living for God is better than what I might experience elsewhere? If you live to be 85 years old, um, and of course many do. Uh, by the way, today, if you know Paul's Cosmo, he's in the tradition service right now. He's our oldest living member. He turns 100 either today or tomorrow. Isn't that awesome? So let's go with 85, right? If you live to be 85, you have 31,000 days on this earth. So by using his comparison literally, if you calculate it out one day to 1,000, you would have 31 days to the 31,000. So let me rephrase his point here. I would rather have 31 days in the presence of God than the entire rest of my life. If you would just give me 31 days in your court, you can have the rest. Here's four questions. Do we desire and anticipate seeing God do extraordinary things? Do we recognize our need for God and realize that apart from him, we can do nothing? Are we prayerfully dependent? Do we love to talk about the Lord and remember his faithfulness? Let me, let me just close with this. Years ago, there was um, kind of this movement. It's called the Prayer of Jabez. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, 
Anyway, people on both ends of the spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, the prayer of Jabez uh, was manipulated to think, oh, it's all about me, just give me more God, bless me. And so the health, wealth, and prosperity movement grabbed a hold of that end. And then the other end is like, that's all garbage. And so there was this, there was this critical watchdog mentality. But what about in the middle? I was talking to somebody after the first service. What about in the middle? What if I said the prayer of Andy and I had to write a prayer? What would I say? What would, what would be my prayer? What about the prayer of, and you fill in the blank, your name? What would be your prayer? Let me leave you with one thing. It's verse 10, it's just a different translation in the NLT, this is what it says. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper. I'd rather be out there being a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. God, thank you for this morning and thank you for your word and just this, this passion of, of the psalmist and his longing uh, to be with you. And God, here we are as believers it's no longer about a building. You don't reside in a place. We experience your presence here because we're here. But we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are in us. And it is amazing that you are living in us and yet at times we feel this distancing away from you. Holy Spirit, would you, would you just tug at us? Would you stir in us? Would you awaken it? Would you bother us? Our routines, our habits, the choices we're making, would you rattle us and say, is that really what you want? Because you can have every day in my presence. I'm right here. God, give us that kind of hunger and passion for you. In Jesus' name, amen.